Before we dive into today's interview, a little caveat that in today's episode of Soul Talk, we discuss grief, death, and loss, and listener discretion is advised. You're listening to Soul Talk, conversations with fascinating people on their relationship with spirituality. I'm your host, Holly Azapati. Hi, friends. Another episode, another caveat. And I did not plan this well when I was scheduling what episodes to do in what order. So in today's episode with Erin, you are going to hear Erin sound like a divine, beautiful, eloquently spoken being of light. And you are going to hear me sound very, I guess the word is a little bit pixely if you were to be watching this interview. Now, I can blame this on a planet because Mercury was in retrograde at the recording of this episode and I didn't actually realize what the sound was doing until the tail end. And when I ran it past Darcy, he said, well, Hull, you can always re-record your questions in better quality and we can edit together. But that doesn't feel authentic to me. So it's okay because Erin does most of the talking in this episode, as she should, and she sounds wonderful. But I would really love you to listen no less I did warn you about this in the in the very first episode. There are going to be moments where I am more human than podcast host, uh, and I hope that you enjoy the episode regardless. I am super curious today. That's my word, curious. <laughs> um, we're going to be diving into a topic that I actually know very little about, and I'm super grateful to welcome my wonderful I'd say, I guess, client turned friend, Erin. Are you happy to refer, be referred to as that, my love? I love to be referred to as your friend. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> um, before we dive into the topic at hand that we're going to be talking about today, can you share with the listeners what's hot on your heart at the moment? What makes your soul sing? it's funny you ask that. It's just like today, especially, I've just been taking the morning slow after a bit of a hectic week. Um And it's funny how even though you're, you know, taking things slow, you still get slowed down even more, hence my technology problems before we jumped on (laughs) this call. (laughs) It's fine because we can blame Mercury today, so that's okay. (laughs) Yeah, exactly, exactly. But, you know, um, slowing down is a really big thing for me at the moment and I think that I'm always learning how to slow down more and what that actually means for me. So I think, you know, getting off my phone and, um, you know, creating a little bit more buffer and a little more space has been something I'm still learning. But I think this week, especially after a bit of a hectic week, um, yeah, that's really all that is on my mind at the moment. How can I slow down more? And how are you doing that? You mentioned taking time off your phone. Is that literally putting your phone in another room? Like what are the practices that you implement when your system goes, Erin, it is time to slow. Yeah, like literally put it down in a drawer, something. Um, I like to lie down <laughs> a lot. Yeah. So Thanks. often I find, <laughs> you know, I'll come home from a hectic day and I just need to like phone away, like watch off, like rip, like all my jewelry off and just lie mm-hmm. on the bed and just let everything settle. And it's almost like I can feel my energy like sucking back into myself after a long day. So, and that's really simple, but that's really all I want to do. And, you know, obviously Mm. there's other practices and things that I do, like I like a bath or, you know, even I washed my hair this morning and that felt like a really good way to let a lot of stuff go as well. But yeah, for me, just like finding true stillness, it doesn't even have to be a meditation practice, just lying down and 
letting energy settles really good. Oh, I love those words that you use there. True stillness. That actually gave me a little bit of a a, a shiver in a beautiful way because I do feel like when people hear the word slow down or still, it, it is very much connected with a meditative practice, which again, as you said, that can be the case, but it doesn't have to be the case. So thank you for giving some beautiful illustrations as to how we can slow that don't involve us silencing the mind. <laughs> yeah. Now you have lots going on in your world. You've got a COVID postponed wedding on the horizon now, which is very exciting. And you're also juggling multiple hats with the work you do in the world. Can you share a little bit more about what, because you've said the word hectic a few times, there's been some hectic stuff going on and I'm like, oh girl, I know what's going on in your world. Share with us, what are you juggling at the moment? Yeah, a few things. So um, where do I start? I'm getting married in April, um, which is so exciting. And we postponed our, our wedding was originally August last year. We postponed in March. So at that point, a few things were organized, but it hadn't really kicked into gear. Um, and so we re- realized around December, crap, like we really need to organize this wedding and get all the details done. So all of that has like whooshed into my world after really not having to deal with it for a year. So we're literally going to our venue t- today, like to go. Nice. <laughs> so that's so exciting. Um, and yeah, so there's all that like admin around wedding, but then also I work full time in recruitment. Um, don't know if you know about 2020, but 2020 was a difficult <laughs> year for recruitment. That's been a, a lot to deal with. And, you know, the um, there's been a knock on effect that's rolled into this year, obviously. So that's quite um, that takes a lot of energy as well. Um, but then I also run a business too, which is again, another f- like, like a fresh endeavor from that I started sort of mid last year. Um, and I'm an EFT practitioner. So I really love the work that I do, but running a business is is not just tapping. Unfortunately, it is like all of the stuff, the foundations of that business that I've been working really hard to get set up. So yeah, there's a lot going on. There's a lot that I'm kind of having to give my energy to, um, which is hectic, but I, I mean, I enjoy all of it. So it's all good stuff, but it's just for me trying to figure out how I can give myself, give enough energy to all of those things and not, you know, yes, let things drop. Do you know what I mean? So, yeah. well, yeah. it's fascinating that you say this, Erin, because I was having this realization or conversation with myself yesterday that you can still burn out doing all of the things that you love. You can still burn out with fierce boundaries in place where it's like an invitation for you to go even fiercer. And I've, I've been sitting in the same space of work and what I do for a living. I love with all my heart. I love my clients. I love what I do. And I'm really tired. And it's like, oh, wait, this can still be a thing. So the fact that you are, you know, on on the precipice of this beautiful wedding and, you know, full-time work and also running your own business, of course, it's still going slow, slow, slow. Now, you first came into my world. Gosh, it would have been when COVID first hit. Was that when? Yeah. Yeah, I booked a reading with you. Like, I think... This time last year, we figured out, I think it was around, no, it was like April. I think I booked it around this time, but you were booked out. So yeah, yeah. Before we sat with each other. Yeah. 
And when we sat with each other, it was the beginning of this beautiful journey we've had together both. I mean, I've been a client of yours as well, sitting in your tapping circles, and we'll talk about what EFT is and what tapping is later in the conversation. But the main reason I did want to invite you on for um, a chat on Soul Talk today, Erin, is to discuss all things grief. And it's one of those topics that uh, I shy away from talking about. And because of that, I have many a question. And the reason that I've invited you on is because you've had your own very real experience in grieving and grief and loss. And I I really wanted to invite you on to share your journey with that in your story. And we're going to hear lots about your mum, which I'm really excited to learn about. But before we do that, what was your relationship to grief and grieving um, before your mum passed? Similar to you, actually, I really did not have too much of an experience with grief. Um, I've never, I've never had a person pass away in my life before, so it's very lucky for that. Um, unfortunately, you know, my mum's parents, my mum's mother, passed away before I was born, so mm-hmm. I never really had a strong relationship with any of my grandparents. Um, but really the only experience I had was a cat that passed away, my yeah. little Max. And he'd oh. been my pet since I was two and he died when oh. I was um, 17 or 18. And I still oh. remember viscerally like that experience of him being sick and, you know, animals can go a bit funny when they're older and then passing away. And like I had to take him to the vet and he got put down. Oh. It was really awful. And that really shook me, you know, like I don't have siblings. Yeah. I'm an only child. So for me, a pet was like my family. <laughs> so that yeah. was really before I lost mum, like that was my only experience of grief. And I really, I was really scared about it. I was really avoidant about it um, because my mum was unwell for a few years before she passed away as well. So it's 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 one of those things that can play on your mind where you know that someone has is it's a serious illness and she had cancer um but you also don't really want to dip into that pain too soon because it is so overwhelming the thought of losing such a central person in your life so it's almost like I avoided and that probably had an effect on our relationship a little bit like I kind of didn't want to be too involved in it because I was so scared of losing her yeah, absolutely. I can I, I can just feel this response in my body as you speak about that. And I, I just appreciate your openness and honesty in this as well, because I can imagine it wouldn't be the easiest thing in the world to revisit. That said, I, I want to hear I want to hear about your mum. I want to hear about your mum when she was healthy and she was it was you and her. Right. You guys were a team. Yeah. My mum is an amazing person. Um, she. Sagittarius, Sagittarian woman. So and as I've learned more about the different signs, like in the last couple of years, I can really see that energy so strong. I wish I knew the rest of her chart, but she loved traveling. She, she was a nurse. So she was a midwife um, and her mom was a midwife. Um, she lost her mom when she was, I think, 19 or 20. Um, and so she she had this really strong independent woman thing. Um, she had a couple of marriages, but ultimately when I came along, she was sort of mid thirties, had traveled, like had worked in England, had worked all around Australia as a nurse. Um, I was a bit of a whoopsie baby. Um, but 
she just knew she wanted to be a mom and she wanted to have a have a child um, and had me. And so then, you know, we moved around a little bit. Like I was born in Perth and then we moved to Queensland and then we went back to Perth and then we eventually settled in New South Wales when I was about 13. Um, and she was an amazing mum. Like I think she always saw me as her intellectual equivalent, if that makes sense. Like I was never really a baby. I was her friend and her kind of partner in crime. It was always me and her. Um, and it was so, so special. Like it's such a rare thing to have a single parent only child relationship oh, yeah. where it's literally like you're in partnership with each other. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, and she was funny. She <laughs> She she just, you know, she made me laugh. She loved science fiction. I was raised on Star Trek. We when I was younger, <laughs> we used to go to a few Star Trek conventions when I was You're um, kidding. No. <laughs> oh, you're imagine that's so great. Um, you know, like, you know, she loved her telly, she loved the Logies, she, you know, there were so many aspects to her. And mm. You know, it's such a joy to reflect on her now, now that she's not here. It's almost like my appreciation for her has magnified now that she's not here, which, yes. you know, I guess we can talk about how I've handled grief and, and what has created that relationship for me. But it's, it's, I can kind of reflect on our relationship now and, you know, I still write to her or I talk to her or I've got her pictures like everywhere. Um, and, yeah, it's just it's just like I wish she was here but I still feel that she's here and I, mm. I really um, – I really have this huge sense of gratitude and appreciation for all that she sacrificed to give me like this life and, and yeah, teach me and all those beautiful things that a mother gives you. It's so beautiful to hear your experiences and see you light up in, you know, remembering and sharing memories like that. And before we even jumped on the potty, Erin did say to me, hold, can we please talk about mum before she's passed? Like, can we make the story not about her passing, which was always going to be the case. But I think it's important to emphasize that in that when someone, you know, has lost a loved one, it's important to talk about their processing of grief, but is it part of the processing of grief is the remembering as well? I think so. Yeah. And, you know, I think a lot of it for me personally, and, you know, I'm very conscious that everyone's experience of grief is different, but for me, I really wanted to work on processing the grief and moving through the emotion so that I could feel this way and remember her as she was, not as she was in her last few months of life it was really important to me because she wasn't herself then, you know, in her last couple of weeks of life. And so I, I knew that it's almost like when you go through that experience in your head when it first happens the version of that person, all you can remember and see in front of you is that sick person mm. when, because the grief is kind of holding you in that space. So then as you kind of move through it and you can start to reflect and reconnect with the joy of who that person was, it changes your relationship. And so you can remember, you can, the, the the earlier parts of her life or our life together comes back to the forefront and those harder memories fall back yeah. into kind yeah. of, you know, 
the depths. So talk to me about when you realized that your mum was, wasn't likely going to survive her diagnosis. Uh, how, how did you handle that? It was a long thing. Okay. So she had cancer, I think for about five years before she passed away and she was incredibly resilient, like super strong, super responsive to treatment. Like the first year when she was diagnosed, she was living interstate from me. Um, and she ended up coming back after a few surgeries and stuff, but she always responded really well. And I was actually overseas when she really declined. So we, um, I'd got made redundant in December 2018. Uh, and so me and my fiance, Nick, decided that we would pack up. He'd quit his job. We'd put everything in storage and we went traveling. And we'd planned to go for just under six months to Europe, um, America, Asia, like all around. And we'd kind of got about two or three months into the trip. I think it was, I think it was around that. I remember where we were. We were in Portugal. I was literally sitting at a bus terminal and my mum had said, oh, you know, I've got to have this surgery, like, because we talk all the time. And she said, I had this surgery and like, um, you know, I've got a bit of a broken leg and I'm going to have a surgery in my room. And I was like, okay, it's a bit weird. Like, how did you break your leg? Mm. And then she called me at a bus terminal and she's like, now I've had the surgery. I didn't want to tell you beforehand because I didn't want you to come home, but I actually had another tumor that they found in my leg. And, um, it was a massive surgery. Like they had to give her a knee reconstruction. That's how big the tumor was. Uh, and I'm sitting, I just remember sitting there at this bus terminal in Portugal, like shocked that she hadn't told me. Um, but also like this feeling of helplessness because I was like on the other side of the world, like not even near an airport, like literally about to get on a bus. And I kind of had an inkling then that things weren't good because, you know, the obviously her treatment had stopped working to a point where this had grown. Um, And then she, then from there, it's things declined quite quickly in that she, you know, had to be in rehab to learn to walk. But then she also had a few other issues come up with, um, you know, some viruses that she caught that affected her treatment again. And so then, we were in Cyprus a couple, a month or so later and she just wasn't sounding right on the phone, you know, and she told me how um, she put through, she'd agreed to have a do not resuscitate, which when someone is terminally ill or, or unwell, they have a conversation with you to say, um, you know, if something goes wrong, if your, if your life signs start to go down, do you want us to put you on life support? And you have the option and the choice to say yes or no. And she'd said no to that. And that to me was, okay, she's kind of coming to terms with something. But we were still overseas at that point. I found out later that all of her friends who were so, I, I can't like express enough how much they did to support her, be there for her, visit her in hospital, bring other friends to see her you know, they were saying to her, you need to get Erin and Nick home. You know, this isn't good. But she, I think there's a couple of things that were going on. I don't think she wanted us to cancel our trip because she knew how special it was. But I also think she wanted to protect me from seeing her so unwell. Yeah. Yeah. And so, 
yeah, it was just at that point, um, we, we kept traveling for another week maybe. And then we, we really got the call. You need to come home. And yeah, it's, it was hard. Like I just remember the tears, like being in this random place, <laughs> you know, with Nick is my partner. He's, he's so beautiful. He like, he's not afraid of emotion. Do you know what I mean? Like he holds the space yeah. to cry with me and because, you know, it was, he is, he is. And, you know, it was such a, it was such a shock to have to come home so quickly. Um, yeah. But we got back to Australia and then basically was with her every day in hospital for the next two weeks until she passed away, um, which was a whole experience. And, you know, I think that, that is probably harder almost than all of the stuff that comes after someone passing away is sitting with someone as they are dying. Like it is in part a really beautiful experience as a daughter to be able to be there for her and to hold her hand and help her, you know, eat and um, comb her hair and all of that kind of thing. But at the same time, you know, your heart's breaking like every day and you get your hopes up that things are going to get better because sometimes she would, improve like she she'd be really alert and then she would just sleep and she wouldn't really be there or she'd be confused and so it's a really it's a really difficult experience and I'm so glad that I had Nick there with me every day and um Nick's family were really supportive as well so you know I wasn't alone in it um and she I think found comfort in the fact that Nick and I were engaged we were due to get married and you know I kind of had that security sorted out in my life as well. Of course. Erin, I'm curious to ask you, what helped you through those weeks of being by your side every day, by by your mum's side every day in the lead up to her passing? For listeners who maybe have someone in their life who's who has a loved one um, and who has a loved one who's terminally ill or who has a loved one who's passing away, how can we offer our support to our loved ones in moments like this? What helped you get through those few weeks? I think to give support, you really have to make sure you're supported and that's easier said than done. Um, so, you know, every night until right near the end where I would stay at the hospital, we would go home, we would have dinner together with, and Nick's parents would be there or other family members um, and we would, you know, watch TV and relax and maybe have a glass of wine but just have that stability and that space. I'd still be there at the hospital first thing in the morning because doctors often do their rounds like super early and you want to kind of get get the updates. But allow yourself that space just to be supported by other people and share how you're really feeling. You know, you don't have to kind of be stoic and um, put up this wall of I'm fine and I'm coping if you're not because it is really hard and you might also not really know how you feel. You might just need to cry and I would I would definitely say to cry and let that emotion out is going to allow you to show up with a more tender heart as well, which is so important. The second thing is to also find the lightness. You know, my mum was still my mum. You know, we'd still watch in the first week, especially we'd still put Eddie on and watch who wants to be a millionaire (laughs) and and answer the questions. Or, you know, she'd tell us a story which which would be really funny but completely inappropriate (laughs) or, 
you know, all, all these things, there's always moments of lightness to be found. Um, and, you know, that's the sort of thing you have to focus on because between those moments of lightness, there is a lot of sitting around and waiting and, um, yeah, it's, it's hard. It's really hard. Mm. Talk to me then about um, after your mum passed, how you experienced that. What did that experience in itself look like? So I'll just say as well, when she, when she passed, like for me, it was important that I was there and she'd kind of basically been in a coma for a couple of days. And I remember the one night I'd been staying every night for a few nights and she really, I could just sense that it was coming to an end. And so I remember that night before I went to bed, like I slept in a cot next to the bed, um, I held her hand and I said, um, you can go, you know, you're not, oh gosh, I'm going to cry. I'm crying. <laughs> I love you so much. appreciate all you've done for me, but I can tell you're really tired. And, and she passed away a few hours later and I said to her also, I'm going to be okay. You know, um, you know, I'm so happy that you're my mum. And I'll never, ever forget you, of course, but, you know, you can go. So, and then I remember waking up at like 2 a.m. and she she was gone. And I really think she woke me up on the way out. So then you just have, and then after that, to be honest, like after the first few days after someone passes away, it's it's a blur. It's honestly a blur. Like there's arrangements to be made. Um, I my My reaction was to organize and to get stuff sorted. So I got, you know, I got, I already had all of her passwords for banking and all of her um, insurances. So I was just like, I built processes and I was just like, had a spreadsheet and I was just, and that's how I dealt with it. Other people won't do that. Other people fall into a heap and just need to sleep or other people, you know, need to completely get themselves out of the space and go and do something else. But we all have different ways of coping with things. But for me, like we went up to, um, stayed in a house in Terrigal and got away from Sydney and uh, out of that space of the hospital, like the hospital environment. Um, and my mum was from the central coast as well. So we organized her funeral and I put a lot of love and effort into going through her old photos and building, you know, that was a beautiful way to remember her as well. So those are the, in the first few days of grief were the practical things that I did. But then after the funeral, you have this space of like, life kind of goes back to normal for everyone um, except for you. And so then it, it becomes this thing of like, all right, now, now what do I do and how do I deal with this um, now that I've gone through that incredibly monumental time of my life? And what did you do? Because for me, um, like you before your mum passed, the closest experiences I've had with death have been grandparents that I have been close to, but I think it's a different thing. I mean, grief is grief, but when it's someone almost before their time, it's a whole different level of processing. And uh, how did you cope with the fact that life did go on for everyone, including yourself, Were there moments where the grief was heavier than other days? What did that even look like? It was really heavy for a long time. Um, I was really fortunate in that I wasn't working at the time. So because we'd just come back from Europe, I didn't have to sort of 
worry about earning money or going and putting a face on and going to work. So I'm really fortunate in that sense. And I think I did a few things in that I just allowed and I, if I felt sad, I would say to Nick, I just feel so sad today and I really miss Mm -hmm. her. And he'd say, I miss her too. You know, it is awful. And then we'd have a bit of a cry. Yeah. Um, But I I honestly can't tell you day to day what I was doing, but I think it was a lot of that. I would write her letters and, um, and all of that sort of thing. Um, And then I, at some point I booked my EFT training. So to to become an EFT practitioner, I think it was literally only a month or two after she'd passed away. So it was pretty close. Um, And I remember sitting in level, you do a level one and then a level two another weekend. And I almost felt so closed up because I didn't want to bring my pain to that space of learning. But it was also, it was also like, unavoidable because you're literally partnering up with people and doing tapping and practicing and all this kind of stuff. So I had to get it out in the open eventually. Um, and then I ended up booking up some private sessions with um, Alison who from Happy Soul, who's the lady who trained me. And that is, that is where I really started to process, especially the last couple of weeks, because it is a type of trauma watching someone die it's really traumatic um and so she was super gentle in how we went around the hospital environment the things that the way I saw my mum and the emotions that were coming up like there was sometimes where we would be using EFT and I didn't really say anything it would just be like crying and letting it out and letting it go and when you tap you literally pull your cortisol levels down and you pull yourself out of fight, flight or fight. Mm-hmm. Um, and that creates this beautiful safe space for you to actually process your emotions. So I think the reason why I can't remember too much before those moments of processing and those um, workshops and things is because I was just in that freeze kind of uh, of course, of course. Now, I, I, I want to ask you all the things about EFT because obviously it's been a tool that you've used to process grief. It's a tool of yours. It's a skill that you have that I've, I've received and had brilliant, beautiful experiences from. For the listeners who don't even know what EFT stands for or when you say tapping, what that means, can you give us like the Cliff Notes version of EFT? Yes, I can. So EFT stands for emotional freedom technique. Okay. And it does what it says on the box. Essentially, it gives us freedom from our emotions. And in saying that, I mean, often we can get really bogged down in how we're feeling. So we could be feeling really anxious or angry or sad, and that is keeping us stuck. And it's also keeping us stuck in old beliefs or patterns that might not be the best for us. So We also refer to it as tapping because we are literally just tapping on certain meridian points in the body and acknowledging what is coming up for us, whether that be processing a trauma, like how I used it initially, or uh, just tapping on how we can't sleep or how we're feeling anxious or if we have a chocolate craving. So it's really far reaching in its uses, which is what I love so much about it is that you can use the tool to attack really anything that is ailing you in life. You can use it for the really heavy stuff and the really light stuff. And so it's something that has been um, well studied. It's been around since around the seventies, but it's been well studied and well researched since the mid 1990s. 
And yeah, they've they've done studies on things from PTSD all the way through to weight loss and cravings and um, anxiety, depression, um, and it's every time it comes up with these results that are just incredible. In that, when you allow, when you slow down the pace of the hormones in the body, and allow people to breathe, <laughs> mm. then you can move through stuff and you can move through it really quickly. Like, um, you know, often after a, after a session with a client, we can either go through a lot of stuff in one session or we just go through lots of aspects of one issue. And from starting the session to ending the session, it's like your entire view on the situation or whatever it is that's been um, bugging you completely changes because it has wow. such an effect on your on your brain. Wow. And do you tap for yourself every day? I don't tap every day um, because I've gotten to a point now where I'm actually, it's to me it's almost like it smooths those edges for you. So the more that you tap, your reactions to things change. So you mm. basically pull the volume down on your triggers. So I still get triggered by some things, um, whether that's a grief thing or uh, another thing, a stress thing. But for the most part, like uh, I've gotten myself to a point where I'm really kind of gliding along. Yeah, Yeah, stable. So I will probably do it every couple of days. I use it more so at the moment for things like, oh, I'm procrastinating or I'm spending too much time on my phone or I'm not focused. Just to kind of, um, like I did one before this call as an example, just to make sure I was dropped in and not in my head more in my heart space. So I use it in different ways. Yeah. So you can literally (laughs) use it for pretty much anything that's stagnating your, I guess, true essence in a way, anything that's holding you back from experiencing your truth. Exactly. It gets you out of your head and out of that anxious kind of fast-paced feeling that we have and it just slows your system down. Yeah. Do you recommend a tapping practice or someone to sit with uh, a tapping? Would you call yourself, like, is, are you an EFT practitioner? Are you an EFT coach? Like, what is that? What is the correct terminology? <laughs> what do I call you? I'm a practitioner, so I'm a practitioner okay. because I've, I've been accredited. So I, when I when I did my training, so you do a couple of like training blocks and then you go mm-hmm. through accreditation process. So, you know, you do, okay. I, did, I did like 50 hours of, of work with people um, wow. before I could call myself a practitioner. So, yes. look, I think I really value sitting with someone and having someone tap with me because Sometimes you can't see the forest through the trees. Mm-hmm. Is that the right way around? Or is yeah, it trees for the forest? Um, <laughs> see the forest for the trees. Yeah, you're yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, and so you might think initially, well, I'm just really stressed about work as an example. But if you just kind of stayed on that surface level and didn't dive deeper, you would miss so much more that might be going on under the surface. And having someone else like myself or another practitioner sit there and actually reflect back to you, ask you some questions, dive a bit deeper under the layers, push you on points where you might not push yourself, Mm. um, get a bit uncomfortable, bring up the emotions and the things that are true Mm -hmm. and acknowledge them with the tapping. Without that kind of back and forth with a person, you kind of don't get the full depth of possibility from from tapping. Um, And as a practitioner, I also have other techniques as well that you don't get from 
just doing, you know, following along with a tapping meditation. Yeah, I I had an incredible experience in one of your tapping circles at the end of last year where I was experiencing a lot of, I would have said on the surface, was stress from the home situation of not knowing where we were going to live and it came at the perfect time. But I'm sure you remembered like within like, A minute of tapping, I was an emotional wreck and it was grief that was coming up, like grief in terms of grieving the home that we lived in and and all of this stuff from my childhood, which I had not connected to why I was experiencing so stressed. I would not have gotten to that depth if I hadn't been in your space as a practitioner. So just speaking as someone who has experienced how incredibly profound this technique is when you're being guided by someone in a professional sense, holy moly, it's powerful. It's incredible. Um, and you are incredible. And I, I just find your ability to sit and speak so eloquently and, and in such an articulate way and allow yourself the emotions to arise as you share your mom's story. It's, it's to be commended, Erin, because I do feel that grief is one of those topics that we, we run from. And the, the thing about it is, every single person is going to experience grief in some way and you've just given us permission to do just that. Can you share with us uh, what grief looks like for you now? So how long has it been since your mum has passed and how does it turn up for you today? So she passed away in September 2019. So it feels like a long time ago, but it really wasn't. No, no. and I think for me, like, it's sort of, it's, it's an interesting thing to think about in that I still have moments of sadness and it's not like, um, you know, EFT or any other technique I use removes the sadness. But it, I would say that it changes your relationship to the sadness in that it's almost like a, like I was saying at the start, like a beautiful reflection on who she was. And the reason I feel that sadness is because I felt so much and feel so much love for her and she felt so much for me. And so when you pull yourself out of the heaviness of grief or you process through that, you it's like your view on it changes. So it can actually be hard for me to try and remember how I was actually feeling before I did this work because it's almost like my brain has been rewired Mm. and I can only really see the beautiful things about her. Like I still get a little bit teary sometimes, especially um, planning a wedding where she's not going to be physically present. Yeah. That can be hard at times. But, you know, we're going to have a few little touches to remind us of her there on the day and I know she'll be there. But, <laughs> you know, you still have those moments and, and I would say that that's okay. Like I think to change our relationship with grief, it's not like we can remove it completely from our lives. Initially that I had, I found um, the grief brought with it a fear of death and so I was really worried about well, yes. how am I going to cope when I lose someone else or you never know, you never know what's going to happen, right? Like life is very volatile at times. Mm. So it was almost this overwhelming sense of like, oh my God, I'm, I'm going to have to go through all of this again when I Mm. lose someone else, which as you said, is inevitable. But now I think I understand my relationship to that inevitability has changed in that it's like, Yes, it's going to be really crap. It's going to be really hard and painful, but there is a way through. 
after all that pain and you can learn from it. And I think there are so many gifts in grief, not just about the person that you've lost, but also your understanding of your own resilience, your understanding of all the things that you can learn from from that and the wisdom that you can gain from that. And for me now, like it's so it's funny, I attract I tend to attract people who have sick parents now. Of course. <laughs> uh, of course. Or people who've had recent losses. Um and for me I see that as like, well, when I when I lost my mum, I was seeking those people who had gone through what I went through. Uh to to learn from them and to kind of have hope as well and it's like yes. well now I've gone through this I can be that hope for other people and that you know you've got to go through the pain but there is there is light at the end of the tunnel mm, that's so beautiful Erin I I would love to hear uh, any last words you have around your mum's legacy what she's left you with and what wisdom of hers we can take into our lives to keep her light alive in all of us she, you know what? She's just such a funny woman. Like <laughs> I can vouch for that, by the way. I'm, I've channeled Erin's mum a couple of times and she is, the word spunk wants to come through. She's just got spunk about her, you know? <laughs> she does. But you know what? One of the things that, and, and this became so apparent to me when I was organising her funeral, she collected friends and she kept in touch with people. She valued connection in a way that I've, I don't know anyone else who does that. She never let, you know, family life, work life, any of that get in the way of her opening a little address book, giving people a call, check, oh. checking in with people. She oh. had friends all over, you know. She had friends in England, in Perth, in Queensland. Like she, her, her, her beautiful spirit is so far-reaching. And when she passed away, I was like, oh, my God, I am not doing enough to stay connected to my friends. Yeah. And I want to I have that legacy, like, of connection and so many people having such kind and beautiful things to say about me when I pass away. Like, even now, like, I put a post up for her birthday on Facebook and the comments, like, hundreds of comments, I still think about your mum. She was always such a beautiful support for me. Oh. You know, like, that. that's her legacy. And I think that there's that Maya, Maya Angelo quote about, you know, people will remember how you made them feel. And I think that is her legacy. And she did such a great job when she was here. So, yeah. Oh, that's so beautiful, Erin. And such a beautiful reminder to, to, while we've got our people earthside, tell them that we love them, connect, pick up that phone. I am definitely guilty of life getting in the way of that connection. It's been such a joy to chat with you today, beautiful woman. The final question I have for you is what does intuition, your intuition, want to share as some last words on anything at all for our beautiful listeners today? Um, I just feel I should share, you know, like obviously this has been an I guess an intense conversation mm. to talk to talk about these things. And, you know, if you are feeling a little triggered or it's brought up some stuff for you, I would say um, take this moment to address that and to acknowledge that. And this is an opportunity for you to 
process these feelings, whether it's preemptive grief or actual grief or something else that we've spoken about. But, you know, these things, unless we acknowledge them and do some work with them in whatever way makes sense for you, they're going to keep lingering and it's going to come out eventually. So maybe take this opportunity to do some journaling or some tapping or some breath work or even just talk to a friend and get some stuff off your chest because you will feel so much better once you move through that. So that would be my my final piece of advice. So beautiful. And I definitely second everything you have shared, my love. If people want to learn more about tapping, if they want to connect with you, where should we send them? And I will put them all in the show notes, but where where can people find you? So my website is erinlaishley.com. Um, just check the show notes. I won't spell that for you. Mm. Uh, and then I'm also on Instagram uh, at erinlaishley, nice and simple. And then I would love to invite you as well. I run a monthly tapping circle. Um, there should be dates available whenever this comes out. So that is a beautiful, safe way to learn the technique and not, um, you know, kind of go gently in. Um, and those circles are really beautiful, beautiful closed container. So that would be, um, you know, a really nice way to connect with me as well. And I can second that. I'm due for your next circle. I need to book my ticket. There you go. Thank you, beautiful woman. You're wonderful. Thanks, Holly. Thanks so much for having me. To be perfectly honest with you guys, I was a little bit nervous about having this conversation, not with Erin specifically, just in general, because there is so much that I don't know about the grieving process. Um, Given that I've lost pets and I've lost grandparents. So to a degree, yes, I have experienced grief in my own way. But to lose someone so incredibly close and before their time, there were so many elements to this conversation that were so foreign to me. But I think that that's why these conversations are important. And maybe it's not necessarily grief. Uh, It could be heartbreak. It could be losing a job. Uh, It could be a friendship falling apart. These conversations are important because they are what make us human and we're not supposed to know everything. We're not supposed to have an understanding for every single life experience ever. And it's really humbling for us to sit back and go, tell me about your experience with that. Help me understand how I can help. Help me understand what that was like for you. I think often we fear asking those questions because we don't want to say the wrong thing. We don't want to upset anybody. But when it comes from a place of deep integrity and wanting to learn more, to understand and to help, then only good can come from that. And I really admire Erin for the beautiful joy and the hope that she brings in sharing the story of her mum. And it brought me comfort in knowing that while, yes, as we discussed, We are all going to experience grief at some point in our lives. It is inevitable. We can change how we relate to the inevitability of that and we're not alone in that ever, ever, ever. And the way that I continue to remind myself when I find myself in periods of fearing grief or fearing the death of a loved one, which is very, very common, is that grief and love are two sides of the same coin. And the more that we live an open-hearted, heart-centered life, 
the more that we live with our barriers down around our heart, open-hearted lives, heart on our sleeves, yes, the more likely we are to experience grief. But for me, the whole meaning of life is love. It's connection with family, with friends, with your community. And if that means I need to risk some heartbreak and grief in the process, then, hey, sign me up. I'm going to do it. And I know that we will all get through these periods in our life, these seasons, knowing that there's always more love to experience. And for me, that's what matters most. Big love to all of you. You've been listening to Soul Talk with Holly as a party. Enjoyed today's ep? Remember to share, subscribe, and leave a little rating if you like what you heard. And join us over on Facebook. Just search Soul Talk with Holly as a party. Until next time.